0: Hey, Rockheads. Plug in your bug zapper and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 358, featuring the Software Quality Discussion Panel at TechEd US, recorded live Tuesday, June 3rd, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Makers of ActiveReports.net Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now... The man who'll never again buy that epoxy that looks just like sunblock. Carl
1: Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome to DotNet Rocks. It's summertime. We're here. Uh, I'm here anyway in New London, Connecticut. Richard's uh, on vacation today, slacking down in Houston, and uh, we're going to have a show coming up that we recorded at TechEd. It's a it's a panel. It's a great panel on software quality. And, you know, it's not really a smackdown. That's not how we're positioning it, because it wasn't positioned that way. But it but it really kind of is. And you'll see why. Originally, we weren't recording this. This was just a tech ed panel. This wasn't really a .NET Rock show, but Richard was asked to, uh, to moderate. And um, halfway through, Richard comes over and he says, hey, Carl, you should be recording this. I said, yeah, I wish I could. But well, I'll start recording it now. So we only got half the recording, but we went back to the guys who were filming it on camera and they gave us a recording and that's what we used. But before we get to that panel, let's uh, start things off with Better Know a Framework. And of course, Better Know a Framework is a section that I do on the show where um, I just shine a little flashlight in a little corner of the .NET framework to show you what's going on in there. It's not really training. It's just uh, something to to pique your interest. And if you're interested, you can go and read up on it and study more. So today I'm going to talk about the Linked List of T generic class, which is in System Collections Generic. Um, Anybody who's done any programming for any length of time knows what a linked list is. And if you happen to be one of those people who's just a visual programmer, if you ever used a tree view or something like that, you get the concept of a linked list. Every node in the list has a reference to another node, and uh, the whole idea behind a linked list is that you can just add nodes, and you can there. There's a methods on this uh, linked list of T: add after, add before, add first, add last, clear, uh, that kind of stuff. Remove at, you know, remove uh, first, remove last, that kind of stuff. So, what's great about the generics? implementation is that the nodes don't have to be anything in particular. They can be any kind of object that you want, which is really pretty cool. Now you don't have to have like a second abstraction just to uh just to map objects in some other collection into your list. So that's cool. Link list of T. Know it, love it, use it. And uh as far as an email goes, I'm not gonna read an email. What I am going to read though is a uh, a post that Greg Lowe did, and he says, Finally, a compelling demonstration of WPF in a business application. For those that I've discussed WPF with over the years will know that I think that Microsoft really struggles to demonstrate business value for WPF. I've attended many sessions where I've been shown things like the ability to show a video in the taskbar while you flip the taskbar around the screen. You know, and he's got a little... Sad, frown face there, a little emoticon. In other words, yeah, great. But congratulations to Billy Hollis for his WPF business application presentation done on Carl Franklin's DNR TV recently. If you've been wondering how WPF might add value to a business application, watch the first 24 minutes or so of the show. You can read the post at shrinkster.com slash 1064. That's right, we're into four-digit Shrinkster.com URLs now, 1064. And the Shrinkster to the DNR TV show itself is Shrinkster.com slash 1065. And I also want to continue mentioning the developer opportunities that are available with Infusion Development in New York City. And in Dubai, that's Middle East Dubai. So if you're the adventurous type, if you want to spend a year in Manhattan, making a Manhattan salary and living in an apartment rent-free for a year, working with a lot of great people and a lot of other .NET Rocks listeners as well, uh, check out the blog post about that New York tour at shrinkster.com slash kh6. And uh, if you're interested in going to Dubai, just send an email to me, carl at Franklins.net. Uh, I'll send you the details on that. Also, there's there are opportunities for anyone who wants to do Surface development. Unfusion signed a contract with Microsoft to do some Surface development. Surface is the, the touchscreen table-based, real WPF-laden uh, computer, multi-finger input kind of device that you've heard about, seen at Mix and all of those conferences. So if you're interested in doing some Surface development and learning that, learning SharePoint, doing all sorts of great stuff, just send me an email, carl at franklins.net. I'll pass pass you on to the folks down at Infusion. It's good stuff. All right, now let's bring on the smackdown. <clears throat> I mean uh, the panel discussion on software quality. Folks, I assure you, this is going to be a very entertaining hour indeed. Let's
2: just roll it now. Hi, this is Richard Campbell from .NET Rocks. I'm here with an esteemed panel. Gosh. Esteemed panel of... Software quality enthusiasts. How's that? Here, here. <laughs> I'm going to start at the far end uh, give you some introductions. Mr. Hollis, Reverend Hollis?
3: Yes, Richard. You, uh, you want me to introduce myself? Absolutely. Introduce yourself. Oh, now, see, I just hate to do that. <laughs> um, author, speaker at conferences, but I spend probably two thirds of my time working on software projects, leading teams, a lot of healthcare software, and typically software that demands a higher level of user experience than typical systems.
2: And, you've been shi- you, I was looking at some of the new stuff you've built just recently. You're shipping software these days like crazy.
3: I've got some interesting stuff based in WPF that we'll be transitioning to Silverlight, software as a service, so um, we see a lot of things coming together to, to allow some new opportunities. Cool.
4: Dr. Neil. Dr. Neil Rudin, software developer, regional director for Australia, MVP for Windows Live Platform, involved in quite a large breadth of software development projects and, uh, I guess, pushing agile and extreme programming since the end of the 90s. Um, in before it was of, cool. Yeah, before it was cool, long before it was cool, <laughs> when people were like, you're mad. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah.
2: And I, I know you say you're from Australia, but near as I can tell all you do is store your clothes there. You're not actually there very often. That's true,
4: yeah. Yeah. I actually spend most of my time on an airplane. Yeah. yeah,
2: And but I know you're working on
4: projects in the UK. UK, as, as well as actually in around US. Europe. Um, do some stuff in the US and some stuff in Asia too, and then occasionally I go home.
2: Yeah. Once in a while, yeah. Nice to see you, Jeffrey Palermo, because yes, I did party with Palermo this week. You did, yes. Great party. Um, tech
5: Ed speaker this time around. Two sessions in the architecture track. I'm currently writing a book called ASP.NET .NET MVC in Action with Manning. Um, Microsoft Most Valuable Professional. Austin.NET .NET user group leader, I a speaker, and CTO of Headspring Systems, uh, Austin's leading agile consulting
2: company, and
4: uh, we give a us- mobile billboard. <laughs> yes,
2: you're, you are well labeled there, uh, Mr. Palermo. Absolutely, I and I you
6: for the advertising space.
2: <laughs> All right, next up,
7: great. Uh, my name is Neilish. Uh, Neilish Kumbhakar, Senior Product Manager with uh, Microsoft. Uh, about. A six-month veteran, Microsoft. Uh, oh man, that, you drew the
2: short straw.
7: Do you uh, know what this panel's absolutely. about? Absolutely. Yes, the designated um, punching
6: bag. Good day.
7: And the punching bag spent about twelve years in the industry, uh, half of which writing code, uh, uh, being a developer, and then the other half building products to test uh, test applications and and. Uh, and um, uh, promoting all those. And, you,
2: and, and what group Software are you quality. with?
7: Software quality. With st- I'm, with, I'm with the VSTS uh, team system. Okay. Teams, so the, the on, test edition? On the test
2: edition. Right? Uh, fantastic. Exactly. One of my favorite exactly. products, exactly. truly. Yeah. Great. Love
6: it. And, and in competition for the curmudgeon of the panel, <laughs> David Platt. Yes, my name is David Platt. I am the head honcho of Rolling Thunder Computing. I'm the only honcho of Rolling Thunder Computing. I write some books, I uh, teach some classes at uh, Harvard University, Extension School, among others, and uh, my role on this panel is the designated gadfly and loose cannon. (laughs) And if anybody thinks that I am unqualified for this role, let me tell you that I just finished a book entitled, Why Software Sucks. I got it right here. Thank you, on behalf of my creditors, and uh, that's the thing that I'm doing here today.
2: And the discussion here is software quality, and it actually took a while to really pick out uh, all of the panelists. I started talking to, to Neil about this first, and uh, the fun part is I've, I've got a group of guys here who actually ship software regularly. So if software sucks, it's obviously your fault. Mm-hmm.
4: I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, and, and you know, us as a representative of the software development industry, it is our fault. The software de- you know, the software industry sucks as a whole. David's book says it all, right? And there's, there's a lot of issues with what we do on a regular basis in the software industry. And, you know, it rolls on lots of different levels from how we actually write the code in the first place through to how we test it, through to how we validate it, through to how we, you know, even maybe even before that, how we gather requirements and talk to customers and understand what customers want, understand what experiences, which is where Billy spends a lot of time, what experiences the customer's not just expect, not just a demanding, but actually would help them get their jobs done better. And, and you know, the, the reality is often, and I'm sure you're aware of this, customers don't know what's possible. And so, you know, it's our job to really enlighten them as to what they could do with software, you know, beyond the, their expectation of, well, I want a message box.
3: It's not their job to know what's possible. Yeah, I'd be very
2: disturbed if a customer asked me for a message box. That's almost like they knew too much. Right. It, aren't we don't we want them to just describe their work to us and we try and find ways to make that more efficient
6: that's exactly it I, I hear uh, people say I say know that user he is not the uh, you know you need to build what your user uh, needs to have and then they and the uh, programs come to you and say well I, well I can't because the user doesn't know what he wants and well you know fine it's not his job to know what he needs just like uh, when when you go to your doctor do you say yes my my second metatarsal here is rubbing against the medial ligament that needs some non-steroidal anti-inflammatories no you say, ow, my foot hurts. Well, well, and, it, and it is the doctor's job to, to ask questions about, well, you know, is it the left foot or the right foot? You know, in the morning or the afternoon, you know, is, is, oh, you have a nail sticking out, I see. Uh, you know, it, 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 and it is our job to to ask the questions of the users and, 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 and to, to do the due diligence and perform whatever testing needs to happen
3: uh, so that we can find the answers to the questions. That is our job. I, I would maintain that at least ninety eight percent of the time that you hear a software developer say the user doesn't know what he wants what that really means is that the that the person that's responsible on the technical end doesn't know how to ask the correct right questions right. because i've never experienced that personally if i keep asking the right questions eventually i will find out what the user wants now you may have to that that may take longer than you'd like I, I make jokes and you guys may have seen my video about how too many people in this industry are addicted to writing code. That's what they want to do. Talking to the user is not what they want to do. Right. But that's the, our responsibility, and if we don't manage to find out what the user wants, it is not the user's fault, except in a very minuscule sliver of cases.
6: Absolutely. Yeah. An anecdote, if I may? Or, or, sorry. Yeah, I was just,
7: just going to say, I, mean, I think to add to that, you know, 74% of the time, it's the end user that first discovers an application if you're in production. Right. And the challenge is if, if we were talking to them in the first place and understanding exactly what they wanted, you wouldn't have a lot of those issues kind of right. cropping up in the production in the first place, right? It's right. almost embarrassing to find an application issue in production, uh, when, when you could have caught it like way ahead, even, even at the time when you're architecting.
4: I yeah. mean, really, it's about it's about feedback loops, and so yeah. you know, from an agile perspective, I say ship early, ship often. I want to get my proof of concepts, my early version ones, iteration one, two, three, out to the customers or a subset of customers that they can play with it and start getting feedback back into the development team as to what works for them, what doesn't work for them, how they're you know how they're playing with stuff, how they're using the technology. To well, and, and
2: every application has a feedback loop. Or every every development process ultimately has a feedback loop because it's just a question of when the user it's sees timing. the app. That's right. So the what we would call waterfall method just stretches out over eighteen months and you, and a lot of commitment before lucky. it shows up. And the agile method you're trying to just make that very short. But that doesn't right. sound like we're educating the user any better or collecting requirements
4: any better. We're just doing it faster. Well, we're getting we're getting opportunity to amend faster. And so the opportunity to make the amends to our product. To get to a, a you know in the eighteen months to get to a, a position where the shipping product is actually something that's very usable, very high quality, and what the user wants is 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 much higher chance of getting there than if we just kind of hide in a in a room coding for twelve months.
5: I find it interesting that every project ends up being iterative. Now agile right. projects start out iterative, but every project, even if it's waterfall, eventually ends up iterative at the point that it's late.
6: Yes, of course, because every time, and bar none, when you first present a program to a user, invariably he says, "Yeah, that's just what I asked for, but not what I want." <laughs> and, 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 and the trick is to make that happen sooner, so, so that you can find out what he does want, because he can't—he can't formulate what he wants. But when he sees it and has a straw man to poke at, he can say, "Ah, yes, it, I like this over here, but that thing over there is is, is not doing it for me." And then the sooner you find that out, um, you know, the, the sooner you can fix it.
2: But now. Is this got a lot? I'm just debating how much this has to actually do with quality of software. We were talking about the requirements gathering, but we're presuming all along here that the code we write works. Yeah, and that's a big yeah. presumption. Yeah, isn't I, it is isn't a pretty I? big presumption. Yeah, yeah.
5: Well, it depends on the engineering process. It, I don't like calling uh, coding software development because that's too wishy-washy. Some people want to say, "Oh, but coding is an art." And in that case, you can't evaluate it because its value is in the eye of the beholder. Right. But we need it we need to, to be an engineering practice where there are concrete um, methods of evaluating, and that is the satisfaction of the customer, no surprises from the customer's perspective. So we need an engineering process that drives down defects to zero, and we need that to be repeatable.
3: I, I'm not sure that that's a reasonable goal because...
4: It's not a reasonable it's, goal it, or it's not, or you it, don't it's think not it's even achievable? a
3: reasonable philosophy from this following standpoint. The cost of an error, there's a certain cost that, that a bug has in terms of the economic impact or, or, or in some metric that you take. If that's very low but the cost of fixing it or preventing it is very high, then it doesn't make economic sense to do that. If it, I mean, I, I, look, let's, let's, let's talk about the, an extreme example of, of what I saw from an actual person who's very active and agile and was presenting at a major conference and, and, and told the audience that pair programming is good, you should have two developers, you should write three lines of test code for every line of production code, you should have a ratio of two testers for every developer. That was his ideal now i'm sorry not every project needs that level of commitment of resources if it's a human resources thing and it fails today and that means that a guy doesn't get hired until tomorrow that is not the impact that requires us to double or triple or quadruple the amount of resources that are taken to, to make that, that, that product work. So we have to balance quality with the amount of money, too. Saying that we're just going to drive for zero bugs under all circumstances I think is a completely unrealistic way to do it because we've only got finite resources. That's just the way the world okay, works. Just, me, we have to allocate those resources. Two, two, two Wait, things let me there. clarify what,
5: what I'm saying because you made an argument against something that I didn't put out. So I said defects, and you're talking about bugs, and there's a difference. Anything that bugs a user is a bug. But defects more of an engineering term. You have a product manager or someone who's in charge of saying this is what I expect the software to do, and any gap in the actual behavior and the expected behavior, we can say that's a defect, that's concrete. Now, a bug, yeah, that's that's more fuzzy, but the product manager can say this is undesirable behavior, but because of ROI concerns, I'm going to be okay with it, and so therefore it becomes expected behavior, and from the engineering department, they know that that's what's expected. You still have zero defects because the actual behavior is exactly in line with expectations. So we'll you know redefine really bugs away there.
3: if we don't lock them. We have,
5: I to, mean, that,
2: no, no, we have to differentiate what know, we're talking about. As long as they didn't report the bugs, we'd have no defects. <laughs> <laughs> yes, or if we
6: just learned to love our bugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there it's there you not go. a bug. It's, doctors bury <laughs> their <Okay>. mistakes. So <laughs> We've
3: we we got, we got, got terminology, what terminology do issues with here. Our bugs? We, we say, it's a feature, don't we? we got terminology issues here. But forgetting about
4: the terminology issue. The, the cost of fixing bugs, I want to know why is it so high. Why, you know, it's just software. For Christ's sake, it's just software. Why are we building software where making a change, the cost is so
6: high? So well, that's Neil, the first how, thing. How easy is it to repair your cell phone? It's extremely costly. You more or less can't do it. It is far more cost effective to throw away your cell phone and buy a new one. Rather that's than the a hardware
4: issue, not a software issue. That's no. Software is the same thing. Right? So, no, software is not the same thing. Moving a line of code around, changing methods, fixing bugs is very cheap if you build your software right.
6: Nonsense. I heard programmers software. say this every time, and programmers think that, oh yes, it just takes me five minutes to move the line from here to there. And they say it's only a five minute fix, and to them it is. But there are these enormous, and I mean enormous, downstream costs that, per, that, um, that uh, concur to software. Typically, when I talk to program managers, they say, okay, what is the total cost of, of, um, of, moving, a li- of, of uh, moving a line? Figure out the cost of the programmer's time to do the thing and multiply it by 50 to 100, plus or minus. You have to document it. You have to write the tests for it. You have to tell the QAs guys about it, the QAs guys have got to do it. Whatever change you've made, if it has to do with the user interface, now you've got to change all the user interface documentation that mm-hmm. tells the user what to do with it. You have to change the training. To tell the user what they're doing, you have to train the QA guys to ask the tag, the phone support guys to ask the questions um, did, when when something isn't working well. Does it, well, might it have been this line of code? There are these absolutely huge downstream costs, and so while it looks uh, trivial to the programmer who's doing it, that it, 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 it means they're failing to recognize these huge downstream costs. And so, so why know. aren't we
5: talking about preventing defects as a measure of ra- as it means to raise quality? That, that's talking about fixing the defect in the in the cost that's of that. That's after it's gone to production. Why don't we? Yeah. Why don't we write it in such a way mm-hmm. so that we prevent the defects? There's, there's lots of research that says, uh, yeah, defects are really expensive when you find them downstream. So why aren't we building our systems? We, so we, we, we out. We, we, you're, you're
6: absolutely right that we need to do this. And in software engineering, just now we are at the transition. Back in colonial times or so, um, every gun, every rifle was made was was handcrafted by a by a craftsman using tools that he had built himself and was not interchangeable with anything else, and you could recognize a particular um, craftsman, by, if you looked at a gun and you knew about craftsmen, you could tell who built it. And um, software engineering needs to make this transition from an individual craftsman, artisan kind of thing to an engineering uh, kind of thing. Medicine is just now starting to make that transition from an individual doctor is an art kind of thing to this evidence-based medicine sort of thing where they, they very carefully do large, large studies and find out what works and what doesn't and then force you know, doctors to, to, to do that kind of thing.
2: Um, it's so, and, a big and the, chunk of the code that we now have in our app and I'm thinking stuff like the framework exactly that way. It's mass-produced code that's been that, that we use over and over again. There's it is. a layer on top of it that's still crafted.
5: It's just a library. Uh, when you say, hey, there's a new application, what do you normally do you normally say, hey, use approach XYZ? No, you say go do it, and then the team lead, the architect, is sitting down thinking, how do I want to best approach this? And they're just doing it from scratch. They're not saying, oh, I'm following this type of methodology in my architectural approach. They're doing they're they're formulating their process as they try to formulate an application. Reinventing the
4: wheel each time so, is what you're saying.
7: So I want to talk right. a little bit about to your point about defects. Is the fundamental kind of mindset of a developer versus a tester, right? One is one is constructing things, one is building things, versus from a testing quality perspective, you're looking at how do you how do you break. So to your point about defects, right? Is is if am I building my software in the same environment it's supposed to run in? Right. It's the from an environment perspective. As I look at, it's not necessarily
4: all you it, but are you testing
7: it? It's how you testing it. Are you testing it in the in the way the end users are using it? Are you testing it in the way that, that the application eventually is get you know gets deployed? How long is it, it
5: between when you write it and when you test it? Is it seconds or is it hours? I, I mean, I think part of it is testing earlier, testing
7: more often earlier, trying to find a lot of the issues that you're that you're running into. Uh, otherwise,
2: at in a later but time. Is, and this is support for for Billy's statement of three lines of test code for every real line of code, two testers for every developer. Well,
5: he was actually arguing well, against what he heard someone else say. Well, yeah. And yeah. yeah, I don't think I but agree that's with that's what that. When what, people what, what, start
3: talking about trying to keep down the number of, of defects or however you know what terminology you like to use, that seems to be the methods out here that they want, they I want so to sorry, do. But but they, I think
2: the presumption the here is, that, is that, that that is less expensive
3: than correcting the defects. That is, and, I, and yeah. I'm not convinced of that. You know, As my old boss
6: used to say, perfection is the surest route to bankruptcy. You, know, you you could make a car that would never, ever, 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 ever break, but nobody could afford to buy one, and then your company would quickly be out of business. Billy is, is entirely right, saying, well, we need to find out just what is the performance metric for the kinds of things that we're doing. If we're building software for life support or air traffic control, well, that yeah. is one level of quality. If we're building solitaire, that is a That's different another. level of quality. Uh, and if you put the first one in the second,
3: that is right. that is highly inappropriate use of resources, and you'll never make any money. Let's look at the, let's look at the economics. We have a certain amount to spend on software. Suppose we could spend it making the user 5% more productive. Or we could spend it eliminating certain kinds of defects that would cause an hour of downtime a month. Okay? Economically speaking, the 5% more productive wins. Although, That's I mean, a day per month that you've added. Certainly, okay? there are and defects losing an that hour would
2: cost us 5% a month as well.
3: That's right, there are. Mm-hmm. But if you, I mean, we can't obviously necessarily measure these. Because th- th- there are too many unknowns. Right. But if we could, and the defect only cost us an hour a month, and the productivity gains us d- gained us a, a day a month, per then that's a better investment, even though we're well, going to leave is the why defect, is that defect there. there. there in the first place. I, under- I understand that. Okay. I totally I'm just saying that once we there, have finite the resources for finding but, and, and fixing, th- you're saying? Right. For have, for everything. No, for everything, for everything, for the entire process. A business doesn't say, I'm going to spend this much on quality control in, this, in, in, in making this software work, and I'm going to spend this much on user experience. Yeah, no, they say, this is how much I'm going to spend to get this software system. Now you guys figure out how to spend that money. So,
7: Billy, yeah. you're you're saying you're saying it's okay for a certain number of bucks to just show up in production and, and deal, with it, system, deal with it. It yes, depends on the, the, impact, right? the system, but sometimes, yes. But what if the impact? right? You're talking about the business. What what, what 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 if the impact of the business is you know every minute you're down, it's 10 million bucks. Then, then how do that, you know that when you're writing the code? You, you don't you, know. No, you know that no, from the no,
3: problem no, domain. If, if, if the if
6: problem domain tells you that. You have committed malpractice. That's right. That is a requirement, then you, need to know. And if you do not know that before you touch a keyboard, you have committed malpractice. So
7: no, this is this is your point. Of you know whether you're building solitaire or you're building a mission critical application, that, right? If you're you building a, right, if you're building a mission critical application, mm-hmm. it's important to kind of get that get it, that team you know, team to collaborate report It's life or it's death. It's critical. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. critical. That's why just, it's mission critical, right? Are you
3: saying when you
5: when you write the software, you intentionally leave a defect because of an ROI mm-hmm. or
3: balance? It, on on occasion, yes, we have we well, have left that, defects then, in the software, covered no, them up, whatever it no, took but you to say the this. We, we all write no, no, no. defects. Did you
5: intentionally write it, or did you discover it? No, and, and it was discovered decide, at okay, some point,
3: why, and it was decided that that it does not make economic sense to fix this thing. That makes
5: sense, but why doesn't the process cause the defects to not get
3: created? Because there is no magical process that does that. And I don't care what the test-driven people tell so, me, there is no such process.
1: You're listening to .NET Rocks from .NET Rocks.com. This is Carl I have a message from our sponsor, Telerik, who wants you to know about the best way to learn using new dev tools and technologies. Well, is it reading manuals, watching videos, playing with sample code? How about all of the above? So Telerik recently launched their new interactive trainer tool to help you effectively learn all the Telerik products in your own pace. The Telerik Trainer is a slick WPF app that combines a video player with synchronized highlights a table of contents for topical navigation, and a context-sensitive code launcher. While playing the narrative videos, you'll see a code button light up at a relevant section. Click the button, and you'll open the respective file from the provided project directly into Visual Studio. No more searching for code while watching a training video. This is indeed innovation in training. They're always releasing new tutorials for all the Telerik products. So don't waste any more time and download this amazing new training tool now at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K. And as you know, when it comes to developer tools, it's not just about great products, but also about reliable support and effective training materials. And that's exactly what our friends at Telerik have done. Check it out. Now let's get back to the show.
6: Jeff, do you have any children? (laughs) I do. I do. Okay, uh, can I ask how old? Nine months. Nine months, okay. Well, when their teeth come in, at a certain point, you're going to take your three-year-old or your four-year-old to the dentist, and the dentist is going to say, oh, you've got a cavity in this tooth here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can fill it for 50 bucks and stick a needle in and drill, or we can wait two years and it'll fall out on its own, and nothing bad will happen in between now and then. And what are you going to tell the dentist to do? No, that's a defect, fix it now! <laughs>
5: No, I'm not arguing for that.
6: <laughs> but we keep making these ex- analogies I,
5: between I don't things that are
4: not software and software. You know, it's, Everything in the world is analogies. Yeah, but okay. software is different from hardware or a kid's tooth. You can Not you that, can't.
6: Not that different. There is very little that's new under the sun. Nah. So I, so I guess what Billy's saying is... Remember, there say, remember common in-proc and out of proc servers, right? Oh, yeah, you very know, they, the, of, the, the in proc server was having unprotected sex. Out-of-proc through a proxy and stub was wearing a condom. All right. Maybe we should talk about
5: functional, okay, if it's a performance thing or something happens uh, once every blue moon,
3: but a functional thing. It depends upon the nature of that function and how valuable that function is. I
2: think, to Billy's point, you're you're weighing the cost of the bug. I am. Against the cost uh, of the feature. Life is trade-offs. The point point is, is why are we writing them
4: in the first place? There are ways to prevent it from happening. If you have a functional issue, if you did do that with TDD, you would not get that occurring I, in the first I just, deal. Uh, I, I, I have a tough what time believing my tests? that there's a tests
3: How do I know that my flawed. tests are perfect? You're okay. so a human being. I don't. You,
5: you argued against TDD before anyone on the panel ever mentioned it. I, I mentioned it, it as I, one of the things people claim
3: I, is a way to do it, and he just brought it up as yeah. one of the ways to so do it. I, I happen to
5: coach teams that do do it. However, I don't think that's what increases quality. I think the way you design your system is what increases quality. And um, I mean, functional programming talks about side effect-free software that increases it. If we can do that in our imperative languages, and that's some of the techniques that uh, my company employs. If, um, if if you can eliminate. Eliminate globals. Eliminate the side effects that happen, so that it's repeatable. You increase the design. You increase the quality of the design. You, you do, which you can, the you can increase defects down to a minuscule number, very, very close to
6: zero. Minuscule isn't zero, though. I mean, you and you tend to, and I'm still your goal. going to find things. Your goal. <laughs> Guys, more to the point, I mean, what is the zeroth law of computer science? Garbage in, garbage out. Is it not? Yep. Unless you have the requirements correct. And uh, the problem definition correct, mm-hmm. and the design correct. It doesn't matter how good you are or aren't at implementing it, because you will have a very expensive paperweight when you get it done. Absolutely. Right. So even if you have that
7: correct, right? What mm-hmm. if you don't share it? What what I no I have a great know, again, I have gotta, a great gotta, requirements you gotta, document right but it doesn't translate to I mean that's, uh, that's right. my point right yes. I, I think the point is even if you have requirements it has to be it has to kind of filter through across the team members across quality and across development across always product of course. right but but part of the part of what happens is requirements change midstream right. during your project what mm-hmm. are you going to do
6: about that I, I, right I, I, yep. how do you
7: how do you manage that and and, and well
6: it's a changing world I don't believe that put it in the agile cycle and right. And then there. propagate the yep. requirements uh, across the team as fast as early you can.
5: Often. But if your design has a concrete foundation, it's going to be hard to change. So you need your design to be very flexible right. and not have this concrete layer on the bottom. That says, okay, this is our foundation. But I see a lot of a lot of teams writing code where. They bake in the assumptions, and then if the assumptions change, it's very hard to change the behavior of the software. But is, it, and I mean, is, is it, there
2: a cost to that flexibility as well? There's
6: always a cost to the flexibility.
5: flexibility. Sure so there's a cost. Uh, it, it, how high is it? Well, I have found it to be lower than the cost of uh, finding and fixing. Would we all your, agree here that
6: money, the money is a universal result. common denominator? Yep. And that, that's, I mean, that's what you're saying about that's the money. That's basically budget. what I'm saying.
3: It sounds like I'm arguing for systems that, that, that don't work in some sense in the field. When one of the major systems I've done, 2,000 operators in call centers use it eight hours a day. I wrote some of the key pieces six eight years six seven years ago they've never failed They're black box things they're obviously pretty high quality things So I'm not arguing for that at all but I'm saying there's a huge broad range of software mm-hmm. and 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 trying to say dogmatic principles about this is the way that we have to do it because in our experience and the kinds of systems we do that's what's necessary does not translate to the to nearly the kinda of range that we would like in the the bigger broader world something that works at some decent functional level beats having nothing at all. So if it takes me a year and twice as much or three times as much money to get there and that means people can't afford it to get to the level of quality you're talking about, then no, they'll take something that's lower quality but that you can put in their hands for a price they can afford. That's all I'm saying is that things vary a whole lot and we just cannot take the kind of dogmatic view that, that Quality is going to be the thing that we strive for under all circumstances. Yes, we, all, we don't want our software to be buggy, but we have to trade that off against all the things that the user needs, and and, and, and the functionality is one of them. And that is what engineering is, okay? When I was at engineering
6: school, did you go to engineering school, Jeff? Because I did. I, mean, I hold a Master of Engineering degree in case anybody gives a damn, not that it matters. Um, but the, the very first design class I ever took, um, the guy read us a poem, which I will not recite, about a one-horse shea. Um, it's, a, it's a carriage, and always there's a one the weakest spot. It breaks here, it breaks there, it breaks there, it breaks here. And there's a deacon who says, it, mine isn't going to, and he makes every part as strong as every other part. And a hundred years later, it flies to pieces all at once, and nothing first, which is kind of nice. But, um, but in real life engineering, you have to make trade-offs, you have to make the design decisions, you have to make compromises. Um, when you look at a car in a junkyard, every single car in a junkyard is there for one reason. I mean, something broke that was not cost-effective to fix. And all the rest of the things on the car still work. That's, that's, uh, that's why it's in a junkyard so somebody can take it for parts. Now, it broke for one reason, and, you know, they break for different reasons, some more and some less. But, um, You know, that part broke. And now the other parts there were made too strong. They were made stronger than they had to be. They were made better than they had to be. Money was wasted on those. Money, time, effort, lives were wasted on those pieces that could have been spent on something else that you actually did care about. Now you you know now it's hard to pick this out in other than a statistical sense, but to say zero defects, zero defects is, um, um, is, is is to my way of thinking failing to think it through.
5: You're putting it uh, you're putting it in a straw man sense because that is the goal, but there's always trade-offs. If there if there needs to be mm-hmm. a trade-off, then there is one. But that is the goal, and if you don't have that goal, you're bound to have. So, so I guess
7: I guess maybe 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 the the way of thinking about this is not necessarily getting to zero defects from the ground up, but if you're tending, if your goal is to get to zero defects, you would look for solutions and processes. Uh, the way you write code, the way you think about deployment ahead of time and build it into your architecture, and all of those things is kind of where optimizations could help quality get earlier in the life cycle, right? My
3: goal is to get software the users find valuable. That's my goal too. Right. Okay, right. that is my goal. And everything else is is subservient to that. Every other goal beside, you know, that but, I have established is, is subservient to that goal accomplished Maybe when in the quality cases, is poor? In, it, right. depends. it depends. I get what I want. It's good enough. Good is good enough. enough, enough there is no right? support. No it, right. it does what the yeah. user
6: needs it to do, or right. it does not do what the user do. It right. makes the user happy, or it does not. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, there is there's there's a functionally what?
7: functional software, but there's a poor performing software. If I'm if I if I'm mm-hmm. taking you know ten minutes to go do
5: something I need hold. to do, is this is purely about so, it, taking well, a minute, the wait list wait of what minute, the user's on. On. got and pushing You're, that down? You're saying good enough. If it does exactly what the user wants it to do, then it is high quality. And takes an hour to do it. How are we
6: to it say depends. that it's medium if quality the, if the user
7: loves hours, it? Yes.
6: If, if, the the user, old... if the user is sleeping right. well, it happens, yes. Yeah, fair if fair the right. user is sitting there, hurry up, hurry up,
7: then no. I mean, um, so if it, it does exactly the what the user wants again, it to,
3: it's high quality. That's right. It means no, that but if it's got defects it in it. But if the user sees exactly what they want, then there's not defects. Oh, there could be all kinds of defects the user doesn't see. There could be stuff going on in the background, kludges that, that somebody has to sort out somebody somebody on the team has to come back and, and rearrange things and, and our deployment is messed up and we but the if the user never sees it, then then the user's. Or experience there's more of a question of the user's simply
2: totally tolerant of it. I will, remember. Apps, tolerant, yeah, that's probably apps where the user was perfectly used to rebooting the machine every hour. Right. And they considered themselves productive. They were making their way through that app. It may not have been as productive as it should have been one would debate what the quality was, just because it's acceptable, you know, that they're tolerant of that.
4: But I think it's back to, you know, it's this goal, it's this concept of aiming for zero defects. Well, well you know, in I,
6: the I, sense I, I want to go back to what the gentleman in the audience said, and that is that, you know, we are talking about software, we work on software, we ship software, we're talking about building software. At the end of the day, the user is not coming to us to buy software. Did you come to, our, to my talk on why software sucks? The user is not buying software from us. What is the user buying? They're solving they're buying, their pain. They're, they're buying, that's, that's what, they are buying relief of pain. And, that's, that's, and, and if we relieve their pain, we've done a good job. If we don't, we haven't. I mean, I'm not sure when
3: you talk about having the goal does anybody have a goal of going to does anybody sit down and go I'm gonna write a bug now
4: no exactly okay
3: well, nobody <laughs> I, I does did, that so well, in I that sense everybody has the goal of not writing bugs the defects so I, I mean that's a tautological right, so should... thing is that nobody sits down and says I'm gonna write a defect right now yeah, therefore but, we all have that goal
7: but uh, I, I guess, I I guess Billy, so some, of the, some of the issues that I see in applications right you have a recursive method and there's a database connection call being open inside of it so when you look at it a lot of a lot of coding the way we way we code is cut and paste and and look at hey Hey, this this thing does what I want, want it to do. Can I can I move this around here and get it to work? So so I think also when you don't understand the broader implications of kind of what what that piece of code does and you're using that, it becomes a challenge. Not now, right? In my development environment, my desktop, this works. But what if I throw that into a composite environment where I'm now interacting with you know third party services and running on environments that I never dreamed it was supposed to run on, right? So, so I think there is, there is a, there is a kind of a balance in my, in my mind where I think, yeah, when you tend to do it zero defects, you're going to look for process improvements, you're going to look for ways to engineer your solution, to architect your solution that will minimize it, right? But I do but, all but of that. But then at the end of the day, at the end of the day, because of, because of this, this different way we're building the software, it, you, you're, you may be right in that, in that there might be issues that do crop up in production. That you, you, I mean, nobody can force you. If right. I had so a list of things that I would see that, that right? right?
4: That's what you're about, right? right is how do you validate exactly. that that's, that's where we're at? Right. That's it's, where it's,
7: we're moving towards? I made a change in my code. What's impacting it? To your earlier point, right? What do I need to test? What does quality mean? You know, somebody's gone and made a change. What do I need to test? How does that impact my, my iteration? How does that impact my release cycle? Right. And how do I manage that change? To go
3: let me tell you a real, real story. With me as the user end, to talk about some of the limitations here, okay? So, I went to shop for a new computer last year to replace my five-year-old desktop and ended up buying a Lenovo. And I went to their site to shop for it. Now, I'm a geek, right? So I want to see what the back of the computer looks like. And they have this thing that rotates the computer. So you can look at it from any angle. And I, I start the dragging operation and it moves a tenth of a degree and takes about five seconds to paint. And then another tenth of a degree. And it took over ten minutes to turn that thing around to see the back. Okay? Now, I'm sure that the guy that developed that thing tested it thoroughly. Because if you ran it on a machine with fast video, it would do fine. Right. But I'm shopping for a computer. If I'm shopping for a computer today, a what reason. kind of computer have I got right now? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: yep. Okay, so did he think about that in his quality right. process? He didn't know his The thing his didn't crash. Know that user, right. is not D. So and the coding wasn't the problem. It but was before
5: it was that in before the analysis. We're all the way back. They're first,
6: last and right. only law of UX design, know that user, he is not D. That guy did not right. follow it. Yeah.
5: There's, there's two portions here. One is, okay, once you know exactly what you're doing, yeah, we can talk about coding, we can talk about testing, we can talk about tools, yeah, yeah, yeah. But before that, know the user and pulling out not just the surface pain of what they say they think mm-hmm. they need, mm-hmm. but drive down to what they really want, what they're really going to be satisfied with. That's... That's a lot harder, in my
3: opinion. Uh, than the uh, I completely aspect. agree, Absolutely. and that's where we should spend more mm-hmm. of our time and effort. So, are we is walking our
2: way to it? the bugs yeah. are actually the user's fault because they don't know what they want? No,
5: no
6: it, it is no, it's no. our fault. It is our fault for not figuring, not figuring out what, out what the users name. want. Uh. If we can't discover what
5: the user wants, then what are we doing in this profession?
6: Look, here's an anecdote. Right. So, how do we get? The, 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 here's the perfect analogy. My father, he for, first graduated from medical school, right? And he's, he's a brand new intern. The, the, the ink isn't even dry on his MD. Guy comes in complaining he hadn't had a bowel movement in a week. Right? So my father says, okay, that's easy. Here, try this laxative. Doesn't work. Tries a strong one. Doesn't work. Tries an enema. Nothing comes out. Tries a fluoroscope. Doesn't see anything. Takes him up to the uh, operating room. Even opens up his belly. Does an exploratory laparotomy to see what the hell's wrong with the guy. This is unremarkable. It's a normal abdomen. Finally, he does what he should have done in the first place, which is take a thorough history. In the course of which, he asks the patient what he does for a living. The guy says, I'm a musician. Finally, the light goes on. Ah, no wonder. Look, here's 10 bucks. Go get something to eat. Psst, that's right. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Very nice. I'll be here
6: nice. all week. trying to be all <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but the point is, the point is, you know, what the, what the user says to you often is not the real problem because mm-hmm. the guy doesn't really know. And it's yep. our job to do what we need to do, whatever that is, um, to, to find out what the really pro- what the real problem really, really is. That's our job. So if we if gather really great requirements.
2: We won't have any more bugs.
6: Let me lay on requirements. Well, no, it, <laughs> it helps. Garbage in, garbage out. If we fail to do an excellent job on requirement gathering, the software cannot possibly, no matter how high quality you do, no matter how many zero defects you get, no matter how how many you no matter how agile you are, if we don't get the requirements document right in the very first place, the disagree. You will never get important. it right in the very first place. No, you will never, never get right. it right. You'll never get it right. You'll, I, I no, know, yeah, I know yeah, Okay. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 and if you we try don't get to get, right, get the whole thing before you, you start, no, no, then you're right. Okay. If we don't get the, the, the documents egg. right, you know, quickly, iteratively, well, you know, by releasing, anyway. what you have to do is okay.
4: have a feedback loop mm-hmm. built into okay. your well, okay, so I, that I, you rule. can constantly be validating I, that I what you're right. talking to the user about is what they're expecting. I, I accept right. that correction.
3: We yeah. aim. We aim in our process uh-huh. at getting. In the 90s, on percent of understanding of requirements mm-hmm. before we begin. Now, some mm-hmm. people don't even want to go that high, well, and then the rest of it has to be discovered in an iterative fashion. Okay, I, I, that, I and, that's and I, I would grant that. But you do have to. But if, but if, you're, if you drop, in my respect, in, in my understanding, and the, the, the way that, that coming out of my own experience, if you drop too far below that 90, now your iterative process is very inefficient. Yeah, you may eventually get to where you want to go, but you end up throwing away so much of your, the stuff that you worked on that, that if you had gotten closer on the requirements in the beginning. Mm-hmm. that So there's kind of a nice balance point in there where you get the optimal process of how much requirements you find up front versus how much you find during iteration. And I guess that probably varies from project to project. But just, for us, mm-hmm. we, we're looking at somewhere in the 90% so range of at the beginning. out of that
4: 90, how much of the entire scope of the project do you need to get? Do you need to get 90% of the entire scope? Not, or do you get, no, need to get 90% of the first component you're
3: building? 90% of the minimal Function set that a user needs for the entire for, scope. For the, of the entire function? scope, of the, but yeah. but but there they may, There may be a lot of things they bring up that we intentionally say that is future, and we will put that on the list for later. And now we won't count that in our ninety. Okay,
6: okay.
5: So let me let me rail on requirements documents because there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time working on requirements. I've mean, met a lot of people who are visual. I've met some people who are audio but I've never met someone who was textual, that said, oh, I communicate best by reading text on a page.
6: I do that a and, lot, as a matter of fact. I mean, <laughs> you just met him. <laughs> oh, there, yeah, there we go. Thanks, David. David. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> so
5: given that most of the population is visual, I found, and this is what I coach teams do, is, is if they're documenting requirements, that everyone does it to some extent, depending on the organization, make it pictures. We've all heard a picture is worth a thousand words. So replace a thousand words with a
6: picture and draw on it. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Can you express that uh, statement to me pictorially? I don't think so. Too <laughs> 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 So I mean, we've got obviously yes. a guy oh, who's serious <laughs>
2: about Studio <laughs> Test Edition, yeah. but uh-huh. isn't that problem solved by Studio Architect Edition?
5: It's solved by people.
2: Yeah. Not it's, so so it's people. Uh, Well, I think, I do think Microsoft say... pay
6: you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but if, I mean, the issue so is, I have
2: with the diagram. And I don't disagree, but I don't have a good cocktail napkin binder, right? I mean, the problem is I draw those pictures and they die. They're there, but now they're a maintenance headache as I'm trying to develop this out. Do they die or do they stay in your head, in the development team's head? I think you draw them, you show them, we love them, we go off and work on them. Then reality hits as we build software, and the diagram no longer reflects what we build. Okay, so what happened
5: between that time and the five or ten days... When you have the screen ready to show the user for the first time, saying "Is, is this right?" We, we talked about it now. Is this right?
2: I think that's what happens when you build software: is that you get into what do I have to do to actually make go from that diagram to that code.
5: I mean, if you wait a long time, sure. But if you're just if if, you, if you're talking with the user, visually looking through it, and maybe it takes you two, maybe it takes you three weeks before you can actually deliver it, and you're talking and, and showing them the revs. What really how can you? How could I go wrong?
4: And yet we do. But Isn't the, but is, is I it, it the diagram has now changed? We, yeah. Is that the issue? That now if you were to draw what you've built, the diagram isn't the same as the diagram that you started with? I think that's with? the issue. But you
2: know what we didn't define up front here is, what do you see as
4: a diagram? I'm sorry, <laughs> I immediately thought UML, but I may be the
2: only guy who did. Ah, you're thinking
5: tools. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like the, the, the simplest frame. thing that can communicate the idea. A pencil with a snapshot of an image Put in your... Uh, but, repos- and whatever I mean, happens and would be. What? A lot more
6: than I disagree with them. I really. But would. an image of what? An image of what a you screen, drew on the whiteboard. A screenshot. Ah,
2: okay. So
5: what did I draw on but, the yeah, whiteboard? Or seeing. you can also take... Yeah, I love taking screenshots of existing screens that they want enhanced. And use the simple PowerPoint tools to draw a call out and say, I want this different.
2: Yeah, great. Jeff, I'm what did you draw on you the lot, whiteboard? Right?
5: On the whiteboard is screens that don't exist and you're fleshing them out.
2: So you're drawing the user's screens of the app.
5: Right. And you say, okay, user, you're talking about or the product manager if there's a proxy. What's the flow? Let's talk about the persona of who's using the screen. What are they gonna do? What are they trying to do? And what's the natural order of progression? And let's try to make a screen that's gonna accomplish that.
4: So it's kind of paint programming. Sure. Paint requirements gathering.
3: I'm, I'm not sure that Paranalfi. I'm not sure that works as well in a WPF Silverlight world as it does with current tools. At least given what the users understand about how UI should be constructed, because they have many, many preconceptions that will complicate that process. We may have to start
6: rethinking that. Yeah, we may have to.
5: And there are a lot of different niches, but there are. The the line of business enterprise application that is non-flashy, that segment of the market is sufficiently huge to, you
3: know, we will get to the point where the new technologies need to apply to them too. They need productivity sure, too.
5: Absolutely. Right.
3: And and I don't think people understand at this point how much UI is going to change in the next five to ten years.
7: I certainly don't. So when when you have that requirement, right? Let me ask you: How do you how do you what's the trade-off between how often you go back to the user and validate it? versus kind of going through your, you know, a whole go, iteration versus, We know, go back uh, to
3: the user every to, week. We have yeah, a standard that's time that's to do it. Now. So, iteration. Iterating short. Our iterations are five
6: business days. Yeah. yeah because over, you want to go back longer. and I mean, feed yeah, that
3: back maybe, into not, the whole you know, process. process right.
6: not, not six months.
2: Well, so we're in but, violent agreement.
6: Yeah. One week. That's a shame.
2: One week iteration. One week. One week. Gentlemen, we're running out of time. Final thoughts.
3: Mr. Hollis. Oh, gosh. You know, I you asked about this 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 panel software quality and my first reaction was well I'm in favor of it yes
2: <laughs> uh, I did entitle the but, panel software <laughs> quality isn't optional so I, I think it would be a good so, idea uh,
3: so I think we are all in favor of it but but yeah my my key my key in, insight that I try to communicate is it's all a matter of trade offs and, and um, getting to what the user needs is first and quality is defined within that context
4: okay Dr Neal. yeah I'll disagree. It's, it's about quality. You've got to get your quality as high as you possibly can, always. The, the higher the quality of the software, the higher the quality of the software will remain through the development lifecycle. So right from iteration zero, keep that quality as high as you possibly can.
2: Jeff Palermo? Um,
5: I agree mostly with Dr. Neil. The, the higher the quality, the better. And I, I, would, I would say the extra features, I would say that you can't have too high of quality you would just say you have too much behavior for the situation. And, and I think that there's a difference between analysis and the construction of the software. I think the engineering component, the construction of the software, there's a lot, a lot to be desired in the way the general Microsoft developers work, work it. And in, in surveying my two architecture sessions, um, there's a lot of progress that needs to be made. But the analysis is the most important because if you're building the wrong thing, then your code doesn't matter.
7: All right Neil great now uh, you know I, I would actually I would actually have to say that while you know trade off is a fact of life, mm-hmm. you have to trade off everywhere you go while while that is true, I think we have to make every effort to 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 get to a point where software works flawlessly because because software is everywhere uh, and, and as we as we build software, we have to strive towards building better software, bringing quality earlier into the development architecture side of the house and, and really deploying applications that are that are higher quality. It's a good thing you, know, you, did,
2: you only said that at the end of the session, because we would have beaten you up for the rest of the session. <laughs> Thank you. David?
6: Well, you guys have said all the geeky things that uh, that need to or can be said, so I'll be a little philosophical. And no. Say, yes. Oh, that's a and say, what a fabulous time it is to be alive and in this industry. You know what I mean? I mean, not, not agree. You know, yeah. not, not for its birth that goes to giants like Turing and von Neumann, you know, nor for its childhood, other giants like Grace Hopper. But it's, yes. uh, but it's adolescence, stormy as always, uh, into what I hope will become its adulthood. And goddamn, isn't it great? Yeah. All right, guys, thanks very much.
1: online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a
3: band by the FCC. Yes, Life is hard.